0: Well hey everyone, I hope you're doing well and uh, staying safe and hopefully taking opportunities to get connected with one another and to um, to reach out to other people online or in person within the, the guidelines um, and I hope you're healthy and well. Uh, I myself actually got tested for COVID this week, so if you hear me coughing during the uh, the sermon, please don't freak out because my test came back negative. I do not have COVID-19. So, um, we are going to be continuing our series on Ephesians, God's master plan, and I hope you're as excited as I am to look into it today. Um, So, let's pray. As we come to God's word together. Lord God, the Bible is your word. It's not human thoughts or ideas. And Lord, this uh, sermon today is not about me sharing my thoughts or ideas, but this is uh, a spiritual thing. And we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. By your word, as we open it up today, that you would say what you have to say to us by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's theme is the peace of God in Christ. And you may have noticed how all of our titles for this series line up with in Christ. Because Ephesians is about how we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Peace. What comes to your mind when I say the word peace? Peace. It's a powerful word. What do you think of? Maybe it's world peace, an absence of war, violence and destruction in our world. Maybe it's social peace, a safe, fair, and peaceful society. Or maybe it's interpersonal peace, peace in your relationships, peace and understanding and harmony in your family, with your friends, with your work colleagues, uh, with all of the people that you meet. Or maybe it's inner peace and a sense of calm and tranquility, serenity, rest. When we look at these different levels of peace, I think we can see that on every level, we live in a peace-starved world. Have, have you ever been really hungry? Like you, maybe you did the 40-hour famine and... You saw your friends there, your family, eating food, and you're like, oh, I'm so hungry. And you work through that not, not eating, and you feel those hunger pangs, and those, your stomach is growling. I think like that doesn't even come close to how much our world is starving for peace, how we are yearning for it. We're so hungry for these real peace on every level. Of society and every level of our experience. Our world is starving for peace. It's desperately searching for peace. We are restless, we are frantic, we're harried, we're anxious, we're experiencing so much instability, volatility, chaos, and change. Well, how do we find real peace in this peace-starved world? Today, Ephesians 2 um, it gives us three portraits of um, this issue of peace. First, first of all, it gives us a portrait of this peace-starved world in which we live and why it's like that. Secondly, it gives us a portrait of the ultimate peacemaker, in Jesus, and thirdly, it gives us a portrait of the peace-filled life. So let's take a look. Firstly, let's look at this portrait of this the peace-starved world in which we live. You know, I spent uh, most of my childhood on. Uh, growing up in a place named the most dangerous place on earth outside a combat zone. It was Palm Island on the far north coast of Queensland. But despite this not great claim to fame of being the most dangerous place on earth outside a war zone, according to the Guinness Book of Records, this childhood was very peaceful. I grew up. Uh, And it was a great, I think, a great privilege to grow up in an Indigenous community with Aboriginal friends on a tropical island that was in many ways a very, very peaceful and idyllic childhood. You know, there was a reason, though, why this place got this this title, this not-so-great claim to fame. As one of the locals put it, People create their own hell, turning in despair and savage drunkenness on their closest relatives, destroying everything, buildings and bodies. But you don't have to go to Palm Island to find victims of domestic violence, victims of broken families. It's been reported during COVID that there's been a 40% increase in domestic violence. And that's just tragic, isn't it, when you hear those kind of statistics and you realise that every one of those statistics is people's lives, children, women, families broken by violence, by conflict. And in mainstream Australia, I find that there is no more peace than this uh, troubled community in which I spent much of my childhood. Peacelessness has many different faces, whether it's the pressures and stresses of modern life or whether it's the burdens of expectations and competition, conflict and greed, or whether it's broken relationships and grudges, whether it's tempers lost in angry words or our own anxieties our own anxious ambition and addictions. There are many different peace killers out there, but the root cause is the same. In Ephesians 2.12, we read, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. The problem of a lack of peace in our world on all these levels is the problem of being without hope and without God in the world. This problem goes much deeper than we think. It can't be solved by education It can't be solved by better cooperation among nations or better policies. It can't be solved uh, by these surface-level interventions, by pop psychology. At the root of our peacelessness is a deep spiritual cause. And it's something that everyone in the world is subject to. It's being cut off from God. That's our natural state in ourselves cut off from God. Let me say that again. The lack of peace in our world comes from being cut off from God, alienated from our Creator. You know, peace is a multifaceted concept. It's got so much going on in it. And if you think about the opposite of peace, you think, what is it? What would you say is the opposite of peace? there's so many, are there? Because it's such a multifaceted concept. I've come up with 10 opposites of peace. So let's just take a look at them. You could say the opposite of peace is conflict. You could say the opposite of peace is fighting, hostility, animosity, turmoil. The opposite of peace is tension. The opposite of peace is frustration the opposite of peace is addiction or anxiety or worry. All of these we experience in our lives, don't we? We, we maybe don't realise what's behind them all is the reality of a broken relationship with God. Our essential conflict, we don't realise, is actually a deeper conflict because we've turned our backs on God and we're going our own way. Our fight, our hostility, our animosity, whether we realize it or not, is by nature as human beings because we are going against God. And our turmoil, our tension, our frustration is all from this broken relationship with God. It goes right back to the fall right back to our first ancestors and throughout history throughout the world we find the devastating effects of this broken relationship with god our addiction is because we're searching for something anything to replace that god in that uh, reality of god in our lives that God to fill that God-shaped hole in our hearts. We need something, but the world cannot provide it because we, we're made for something beyond this world, as C.S Lewis says. Nothing in this world will satisfy. Our anxiety is because deep down, we don't trust God. Deep down we're looking for something else to put our hope and our assurance in, to find our security in. Our worry is an expression of our fear. And if you think about worry, it's like a a misuse of the imagination, right? You could be using your imagination to imagine good possible futures, to imagine solutions to a problem, uh, to imagine um, better things, to come up with uh, and generate positive ideas but instead you go over and over fears and worries in a cycle ongoing worry is living like god isn't there ongoing worry it kind of moves beyond taking responsibility um, for my own things and taking kind of responsibility for what i should be taking responsibility for and it seems to try and take responsibility for things beyond my control like if I worry enough about everything out there then maybe I can stop bad things happening but it never does and it only makes things worse the more you worry about it the more negative you feel about it the more stressed you become and the less likely you are to succeed and so worry is a downward spiral The portrait of a peace-starved world is a portrait of a world cut off from God. The portrait of a peace-starved world is a portrait of a world cut off from God. So, secondly, we see a portrait of the ultimate peacemaker, Jesus. Here we see that Jesus is the great peacemaker who brings us peace with God and peace with others. Firstly, we see Paul describes this peace Jesus brings uh, to human relationships and um, to our relationship with God. And it works on those two levels of being on the horizontal level, peace with others, and on the vertical level between us and God. Um, So let's take a look. He kind of weaves these two themes of Horizontal peace, peace between people, and vertical peace, peace with God, together in this next section. Uh, So in verse 13 and 14 we read, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. You get that? Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Here, he's focusing on that horizontal relationship first up, these two groups. Now, the biggest division and discrimination in Paul's day was between the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, This was the Biggest risk of, I guess, dividing and ripping people apart in in the church in Ephesus. He's writing to, and so here he says, he he's writing to them and reminding them, you guys who were separated, have now been brought together in Christ. This dividing wall that used to separate you has been destroyed by Jesus. It's been torn down, and um. Paul is saying that you were you used to be outsiders, cut off, he says earlier, excluded. Um, now you've been brought in. He says he made the two groups one. Jesus breaks down the barriers between us. He's come to bring us reconciliation and peace with each other. And in Galatians 3, 28, it says there is neither... Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Breaking down all the barriers, showing that everyone's equal, everyone's part of the one big loving family. The death of Jesus, it brings in a new order where God takes decided action to break down the barriers of hostility between different groups. How does he do this? See verse 15. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. How does Jesus set aside the law? He doesn't abolish it. We see in Matthew 5, uh, we've been studying that in some of our small groups. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law. Until everything is accomplished, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't relax the law; he didn't set aside the law. In Matthew five, which we've been, um, which been been reading just now Jesus actually clarifies and intensifies the law and if you think about that what does he mean then by saying the law by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations how does Jesus set aside the law the key in is in his statement in verse 17 I've come to fulfill them All the law and the prophets pointed forward to Jesus. All the law and the prophets pointed forward to how he would come and be the perfect life, to live the perfect life that the law and the prophets demanded and to die the death that we deserved for failing to fulfill the law. So Jesus doesn't set aside the scriptures of the law and the prophets, but he does set aside the legal demands on us, the judgment and death, which all pointed to him and were fulfilled by his perfect life, death and resurrection. And he institutes a new covenant, a new testament, a new way of relating to God through him. Verse 17 He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. In verse 15 and 16, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And you can see here the focus is very strongly on that vertical relationship between us and God. How does Jesus bring peace between us and others? First of all, he's working to bring peace between us and God. And that's the way that his peace comes between between us and others as well. Peacemaking is not an easy thing. Jesus won our peace with his death. He gave up his whole life for us. as Graham Cole says in his book, God, the Peacemaker, there is no shalom, no peace without sacrifice. Peace is made through the blood of the cross, the atoning life, death, and vindication of the faithful son. Bringing shalom by addressing the problem of sin, death, and the devil, and wrath definitively. Sacrifice, sanctification, substitution and victory are key terms for understanding God's atoning project. You know, we just heard from uh, Tim Chan last week in the message on um, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Those famous verses, it is by grace you have been saved. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And here we see that grace, that free gift of God, produces peace. It's interesting that Paul always writes his letters, uh, often he writes his letters, grace and peace is his introduction, right? Grace and peace to you. And peace flows from grace. The two go naturally together. And in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace?, Philip Yancey notes the same connection, the amazing power of grace, of undeserved kindness and generosity to bring peace. Philip Yancey describes uh, a trip to the KGB headquarters in the former Soviet Union in 1991. And he went there with other Christian leaders at the invitation of the KGB uh, vice chairman, Nikolai Stolyarov. And there they walked into this building that had been the centre for so much persecution of Christians that had ordered uh, atrocities, murdered 48,000 priests, shut down all the churches in Russia. This regime that had killed the family members of some of the leaders walking into this building. And here they heard Nikolai Stolyarov quoting biblical concepts of forgiveness, repentance, and they were just amazed. How can this be happening? He's asking for our forgiveness, Alex Leonovic, a a pastor who had escaped from uh, the Soviet Union and had broadcast messages into the Soviet Union, which had often been jammed, but had continued broadcasting messages, Christian messages, messages of the good news of Jesus um, in there, and whose family, some of them had been killed by the KGB. He heard this this vice chairman saying I'm sorry asking for forgiveness on behalf of Russia on behalf of the KGB and he said I forgive you and Yancy recounts how this big Russian man walks over and embraces in a bear hug this this former enemy and Stolyarov's Words were, only twice in my life have I cried. This is the second time. As tears ran down his face, as he received that forgiveness, that grace, that undeserved gift. And as he then felt that peace restored. So, thirdly, we see a portrait of the peace filled life. A portrait of the peace filled life. Let's check out uh, verse 19 and following. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ, jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the lord and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which god lives by his spirit you know here there's these amazing contrasts we go from foreigners to citizens strangers to family enemies to friends, outsiders to members of God's household. It's what the grace of God does for us. It brings us peace. It brings us back to God. Well, we see that we're being built up and we're called to be built up on this Jesus as this chief cornerstone. What does that mean? This cornerstone which the whole, was the foundation stone in the corner of the whole building, and the whole building would have to line up and be founded on this cornerstone. And so this is a point for us to reflect. How much do our lives line up with Jesus, with his character, with his teaching? How much do we make sure that our everyday lines up and is founded on Jesus. You know, I want to get practical in the end, just as we wrap up. How do we live this peace-filled life? With our families. Often with our families, it's the hardest. They say with those closest to you, they see the worst of you. So that's the hardest place to really live out the, the good life that God wants us to live because our families see the worst of us. They see us when we're frustrated. They see us when we're tired. They see our failings more than anyone else. Um, with our work, with our, uh, all our relationships, how do we live this peace-filled life? And I want to bring it back to our vision. Our vision as a church that we went through earlier in the year, which I want to keep restating To keep us focused on it is being a people of God, growing in Christ, reaching out with the gospel until he returns. So being a people of God means we are a people who are called to be peacemakers, to live in peace, not being like the world. You know, no relationship that we have can continue without forgiveness. Because every relationship will involve mistakes, misunderstandings, hurts that need forgiveness. And if we let those hurts build up and harbour grudges, it will develop a wall like that wall we read about earlier, a wall in our hearts between us and them, a wall of hurt. And I ask you, are you harbouring any grudges right now? Have there been walls built up in your heart? Walls of unforgiveness, ungrace. Well, it's time to forgive. It's time to break down those walls because God has broken down the wall for us. To break down those walls and to say, I forgive you. If a Christian leader can do that for the KGB vice chairman when his family were killed, and extend that forgiveness, then the power of God working in us can help us to forgive others, no matter how hard that may be. When others repent, when they, uh, when they confess their sin, we can forgive them. And I want to ask you the other way around too. Not just, are you harboring any grudges? Is there someone you need to forgive? What I want to ask you, is there someone you have wronged that you need to ask forgiveness from? Now is the time to go to them and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Being a people of God means being a people of forgiveness, being a people who maintain relationships, who make peace, who don't peace fake, but who peace make, who don't cause conflict, but who peace make. Growing in Christ means growing to be more like Christ together. Growing in Christ means uh, we will respond lovingly in Christ to all of those elements of all of those levels of ungrace in our society, of injustice, of of war, of violence, of um, social pressure and stress, of relationship conflict, and in our inner lives, in our inner peace, this inner peace will not be dependent on our circumstances because it's founded on the objective truth of what we have in Jesus. It won't be dependent on our fluctuating feelings, but there will be a strong and solid inner peace that transcends our circumstances, our feelings. This grace of God that we've experienced in Jesus transforms our experience of the world. This hope that we have in Jesus transforms our experience of the world. So if we were to work through those lists of uh, opposites of peace, we work from conflict, we, we work to bring harmony. We, we work from the fight, we seek to bring friendship. We experience turmoil, we seek to bring and, and reach that state of enjoyment out of the turmoil. In the tension, we move towards serenity. In the frustration, we can have satisfaction. In the hostility, we can bring reconciliation. In animosity, we can bring kindness. When instead of addiction and always seeking the more, the more, the something else, we can have adequacy. Instead of anxiety, we can have assurance. And instead of worrying, we can have hope. Lastly, reaching out with the gospel means bringing God's lasting peace to others because ultimately we know that only God's peace and that restoring the relationship with God as creator can bring lasting peace to our lives and to others. It's only being reconnected with the creator and that transforming work of God in our hearts That brings us peace. So we want to share that peace with everyone so they too can know real peace in Jesus.